0: This is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today, I'm so excited to be joined by Anna and Shireen, the host of the podcast, Ethnically Ambiguous, which if you haven't checked out, you should. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us.
1: Oh, Oh, hi. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know if we should wait. Yeah, this is Shireen. This is Anna. And we uh, are very happy to be here. We love your podcast and this is so cool.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy to have you and I love your podcast as well. I love your theme music. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. you. Oh, no. What is it?
1: That was just like a a fun project we did together. Like, like what? Almost a year and a half ago now, right? When we first started the theme song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fun. That was fun. I love it. Yeah.
0: Could you tell us a little bit about yourselves and your show?
1: Yeah. So um, me and Anna met in college, but we became closer when we both found ourselves in L.A., like pursuing production and entertainment stuff and film. Uh, And so we became closer, and we wanted to have a space space in the industry for people like us that are Middle Eastern because we never saw ourselves in the media at all. And we, the more we talk to each other, the more we realize our voices are really important. And so we made a YouTube show that was kind of short-lived by the same name, but we ended up making the podcast Ethnically Ambiguous to highlight um, Middle Eastern news that doesn't really get talked about in Western media and also um, bring attention to people of color and women and um, just people in the community that are doing really cool things and I'm Syrian American and uh, my family was uh, They immigrated from Syria and then uh, Anna
2: yeah, and I'm yeah. Iranian-American. My parents are both from Iran. And yeah, we just we just needed a space to also like talk about things that like most people wouldn't yeah. relate to. But we just wanted—we're we're, basically—people around us wouldn't relate to us. But then like in the greater yeah. sphere of the world, there were all these different people that we knew would understand what we were talking about. Yeah. We just needed to reach them somehow.
1: Yeah, so like being children of immigrants— being, like, the hairy, like, person in school or, like, having big eyebrows or whatever. And we talked about all these things that made us feel really alienated and weird growing up. But now it's bringing people like us together with our podcast. So it's really cool.
2: Yeah.
0: I love that. Um, That's one of my favorite things about podcasting is how hearing from people who've said, I grew up in a small town and I never got to see myself or even hear myself reflected around me but having podcasts um, made me feel less alone and it showed me that there was a big world out there and there were other people like me Um, yeah yeah yeah.
1: it's really humbling when that happens because we get letters or like emails and messages from people and um, I genuinely like forget that we have listeners sometimes like I feel like (laughs) I'm just having a conversation Mm -hmm. with Anna and then like I leave the room and it's fine but then when we get messages like that, it's like, oh, this is why we're doing it. Like, it's really important. Yeah, it just means a lot to me that when, when we talk about personal things that maybe are hard for us and then to get a good response, I think it's really
2: um, an, an amazing platform. Yeah, and I feel I feel like if I'd only had something like this growing up, I yeah. would have been less of a weirdo and yeah. like a recluse because I just felt like I didn't fit in anywhere yeah. or with anyone. And it's nice to hear just someone be like, yeah, I went through that exact same thing. Yeah. And nobody got it. Yeah. And it's really cool being
1: that person that someone's like, oh, I'm not alone. Like, if we can be that person or those people to even, like, a handful of listeners, that would make everything worth it. But the fact that we have more than that and people appreciate it, and even if they aren't minor or, like, marginalized people, um, we get a lot of people saying, like, hey, I'm a white person from the Midwest and I had no idea about your culture. And now I'm so curious and and fascinated by it. Thank you for like telling me. And so it's a mixed bag of people that are um, also aliens like us (laughs) and um, uh, people that are learning for the first time what it means to be a child of an immigrant, to be Syrian or Iranian or um, just growing up uh, not white, you know?
2: Yeah. And then just to give people the chance to have empathy towards people of color is, big, because I feel like we need that more than ever
0: right now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, And and going off of that, when you both came to me with this pitch, um, it was about growing up with immigrant parents and and the rules that you had um, and how you were comparing your bodies to the white friends that you were growing up with. So could you talk a little bit about... I'm wondering if you... If it would be useful to talk about your parents and how they they came to the United States for this conversation, or not at all, like <laughs> I really um would love for you to to sort of guide what you think uh, where this conversation should go,
2: sure. I mean, wait you wanted to talk a little about why your parents came,
1: ah uh, sure, so. My parents married in Syria, and the government has always been really corrupt over there. And my dad, uh, he was a civil engineer. and My mom was an English translator and a teacher for some time. But seeing how corrupt the government was, my dad made a choice not to raise a family there. And so they immigrated to SoCal, and um, he had to start from scratch. He was the graveyard shift at a gas station. So really, the majority of immigrants you see here in the States, it's... um, they had jobs and lives somewhere else and they really have to start over. And that's why I really think immigrants are just the most strong uh, group of people we have. But regardless, my parents were here and um, I was raised Muslim because both of my parents' families are Muslim and they're Muslim. And so they came from a pretty conservative, I mean, even though Syria is a secular country, um, it's still conservative when it comes to women as far as like, like, if, if a woman has her hair uncovered or is wearing tight clothes, it's assumed she's a Westerner in Syria. And so my dad's family in particular were very strict. All the women in, the, in his family are covered. Um, even though my mom's family is also Muslim, they're more liberal and um, weren't as strict as far as religion goes. But when we moved here, my dad made sure to raise us all Muslim. And it's something that he really wanted us to hold on to because he attributed being Muslim to being like part of the culture and I disagree with that only because I think being raised with religion made me kind of uh, despise it. And not, not that I despise that religion in particular, just like all religion. <laughs> um, and so I rebelled a lot. I didn't listen to the rules. I wasn't allowed to wear like tank tops or shorts. And I, when I reached a certain age and like learned how to drive, I would change clothes in my car before going to school. And so um, little tiny rebellions here and there. But um, I think my both of my parents, they interpreted being a good Muslim or – a a modest woman with being uh, a good representation of what it is to be an Arab American and I think that's what they wanted me and my sisters to be to be like the best example of an Arab American girl that is Muslim and um, unfortunately I don't feel like I am that (laughs) but um but I feel like I'm a good person and I think that's enough you know.
2: Yeah. And, you know, my parents came from Iran. They came separately from um, different parts of Iran to go to college in America. And their plan was originally to go back to Iran after they graduated and got their degrees. But um, the Iranian revolution happened in 1979. And that just after that, they're kind of like, well, might as well just stay in America and try and work and start a family. And that's kind of around the time my parents met and got married and had me and, and, and my mom is a very devout Muslim woman. Um, and my father is secular. So I wasn't really like I, I would always when I would hang out with my mom, that's when I would get all my like religious vibes from her. And like, I would hear a lot about it. But with my dad, it was never really a thing like he didn't really care for and was just kind of like, Hey, I can't really handle these religious people pushing their stuff on me, mm-hmm. which was not what my mom was like my mom really always kept to herself. But they both came from a more conservative country in the sense like my mom always like she always dressed very conservatively and to this day she still does and that um and my father always kind of believed in you know doing that and not being too showy just being like classy and clean and just don't show too much skin because you don't want to pull attention to you like just do your work and don't bother anyone and no one will bother you and just very straight and narrow path in life. <laughs> like, that's what they wanted uh, from me. And I think I, I became a little bit more vibrant than that. Mm-hmm. I would, like Shereen said, I, I rebelled a lot. And I, you know, I would wear clothes to just test them and yeah. see how far I could get away with it. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to paint my nails. And I would paint my nails until my dad would basically freak out and tell me to go take it off. Yeah. <laughs> and I would just I was just trying and push the limits to see, yeah. you know, how far I could take it and how strict they really were. And I learned they were very strict. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, I think being uh, children of parents that are stricter in the U S when you're raised by Americans or like not because we're also American, but when you're raised by, um, when you're raised alongside a more American culture with your immigrant culture, you feel like such a, just a strange being because you can't relate to kids that can stay out at late or can wear whatever they want right. or like it's it makes you feel so I don't know just it's like apart from everything else I always felt so apart from every like like the the general public <laughs> and um I don't think my parents intended that but I think they really wanted us to be proud of our culture and, and be a good represent like the model minority in a way But I think it backfires sometimes because you are putting your children in a very Western culture that is more liberated and and as far as like self expression goes. And I think both Anna and I really value self expression. And um, I think my parents just had to adjust because it's just part of being here.
2: It's a funny thing because they bring, they come to America because they're like, you're going to have the American dream in that sense. You're going to be able to do what you need to do, but then they get upset if you become too Americanized, yeah. and you're like, well, what do you want?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I really appreciate being raised Muslim because it really did teach me, like, amazing values, and it's a beautiful religion. I think religion has its merits, but just me personally, I can't—I'm not a religious person, and I don't really believe in God, and— um, it's no one's fault. Like, myself, I feel like my dad would really take it personally and blame himself for not doing a better job raising us to be good Muslims. But it's just not who I am. And I think accepting that and um, still, t- like, being the same person around my parents and they know that I'm a good person, I think it's just, yeah. And I think um, being, when realize. I, I remember when I was 12 years old, I told my mom I didn't believe in God and she started crying. And so I really I was like, oh, okay, this is not a topic I should breach anymore. Copy that. Um, so I just kept it to myself. And I think um, until you're able to leave the house, you don't really know a lot about yourself still. And then I think that's a big part of being raised with immigrant parents is you have to get out of their, you you don't, unfortunately, in my experience, you have to make your own life. And then you're like, oh, this is who I am <laughs> kind of thing yeah
0: yeah yeah when I was researching this um trying to I was just reading a lot of accounts from people who were raised by immigrant parents, and something I found a lot was uh immigrant parent guilt. I don't know if mm-hmm. that's something that it sounds like it's something that you experienced, but uh definitely,
1: yeah, one hundred percent, but that's the thing, like my parents are remarkable, and so are Anna's parents. I think they're the most hardworking, generous people, and I love them more than anything. And if the fact that they could feel guilty about not doing a better job raising me in a way that would maybe be like more ideal for their families, that makes me really sad because I, I don't want them to be disappointed in me or get like from their families because that's what happens. It's like when I wear when I post a picture of myself wearing shorts or a tank top, my dad might get a call from his like million brothers and t- like berate him about how he's raising us. And so it, it makes me feel so self-conscious online. It makes me feel self-conscious like as a person because being raised to always cover your body, whether it is with baggy clothes, whether it's not showing your skin, you, de- you develop a complex about your body and you, it's almost like this, It's not self-hate, but it's pretty close. (laughs) It's just self-consciousness. It's self-hate. It's anxiety. You learn to, like, reject your body.
2: You don't relate to it. You don't learn anything about your body. You're not told to, like, no, seriously, you have a vagina and there's... You know, there's stuff like tampons or like even just like how to wear clothes that fit your figure. You don't learn any of that.
1: Like I didn't even know my second year of college was the first time I wore a tampon because my white roommate was like, these are amazing. And I wasn't allowed to wear them growing up. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try. And I taught, I I was like, I explained it to my sisters. I told my mom about it. I was like, why are we so outdated? Just like use tampons. So just like. Um, it's not even—it's not their fault. I just think they wanted to preserve something that they associated with our culture. Um, but the, the the downside of that is that I hated my vagina growing up. I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want to look at it. I thought it was gross. I did not like my body. I hated my breasts. I like would t- I would wear like two sports bras in high school because I hated people looking at me with my because I had like bigger boobs and I wanted to like glue them to my body and like make them flat um and so yeah i think a lot of immigrant daughters don't really find their sexuality or like their true selves and maybe, i'm not going to speak for everyone every daughter that's a like raised by immigrants but i think it's a we're like late bloomers almost
2: <laughs> because yeah. and if you do yeah. figure anything out you're doing it completely in secret yeah on your own time because your mom is not sitting you down yeah. and explaining these things. There's no to you. talk. There's never a talk. Yeah. And if there is, it's just a strange one. Like yeah.
1: um, we grew up in a pretty we we moved around a lot growing up because um, of my dad's job, and um, we were in a pretty bad neighborhood at one point. And in school, I was I was in first grade or second grade, and in school, someone had said the word sex or something. And my sister's a year and a half older than me, and I remember we came back from school and we asked my mom about it. And I was like six or seven. And um, I was remember my mom sat us down and she said, every man has a sword and every woman has a pedestal. And this is like a very rough translation from Arabic. But she said that, like, don't let anyone put their sword in you. And first of all, the most most Arab analogy to use a sword. Um, But (laughs) second of all, just terrifying. And so you grow up with this fear and um, you're not taught to embrace yourself. And I think that's something that needs to be addressed. It really does.
2: Yeah. I mean, the only thing I ever heard from my mom was just don't get pregnant. Yeah. It's like, well, how do I not get pregnant? Like nothing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Please explain.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So, but it's not that I I really don't fault my parents or anything. Like they did their best and they are the best and I love them for it. I just think, it requires you to really be more independent and more self-seeking when it comes to your own self. And, um, like, I just think for me personally, I developed a lot of like body dysmorphia and, um, part like, like difficulties with like food and stuff. And so, um, it's still something I have to like battle and stuff like that. But, uh, I don't blame them for that. I think it was just the way I reacted to it. And, um, but yeah, even now, like, I, I feel like I think about the clothes I wear really consciously. I think about the pictures I post really consciously because I'm just like, what if my uncle sees this? What if I, like, it's just, I hate that I have to think that way and I'm trying to not anymore. And, like, if there are family members that would, like, rat me out for something that I'm doing completely normally, then I'll just block them or something.
2: Yeah, which yeah. I went the other way. I'm like out of control. And if anyone comments on me, I say, hey, following me on Instagram is a privilege, not a right. And yeah. then I start whole like drama. Like, I I have in my past in Iran when I visit my family have started so much drama yeah. over my Instagram because I posted a photo of one uncle with a woman that he shouldn't uh-huh. have been posted in a photo. And I'm like, well, I'm not deleting it and you guys can figure it out yeah. yourselves. Yeah, It's fun.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, it is, it's also interesting because so much of our family is not physically here in America and so social media is a big part of interacting like whether it's on WhatsApp or like Instagram or Facebook like it's a big part of keeping in touch and um like I'm already the the worst influence in my entire family because I was the first one to ever get a tattoo and both of my parents even though my sisters were both adults when they got a tattoo they kind of blame me for that because I was the first one and made it seem okay even though my sister one of my sisters was older than me but um I just I've accepted that role. I'm like the the black sheep middle child that like starts sh- and is rebellious and is a troublemaker in their minds. Even though I've like never actually like done anything that bad, in my opinion. But um, but they do see me as like the like not bad influence, but kind of yeah. Because getting a tattoo in Muslim culture or Arab culture, and even I think Persian culture is the same way. It's like kind of like I don't know, like a scummy thing to do. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I that's another way I was like testing my limits. Like it was something I wanted and I just like did it. And um I don't regret it. But my parents I think just accepted me eventually and now they're okay, you know? They they, they realize that I'm a, I'm my own person. <laughs> and 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 I think they they love each and every one of us and I think knowing that they raised us to be good people should negate anything else.
0: We have some more of our conversation, but first we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And back to the conversation. Do you, Mm -hmm. just out of curiosity, um, what do they think about this whole podcasting thing?
2: Uh my well my mom does not care at all she's in her, yeah. she just says like do whatever you do i don't
0: care like she'll never listen to it cuz she
2: has no interest <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stuff like that uh my dad listens to it occasionally and he's into it you know it's the first time he's ever really truly expressed that he's like proud of something that yeah. i'm doing and i do ne- i do think if it was just any other podcast he'd be like oh you're just messing around but i think because i do it on the middle east and our culture mm-hmm. he's more interested And enjoys that I'm bringing, like, or that we are bringing this kind of light to our world and our culture and the countries that for the most part, the mainstream media don't really get any attention. Yeah. I mean, other than Saudi Arabia now, thanks to Mohammed bin Salman, real—you know yeah. his behavior has really brought Saudi Arabia to light <laughs> these really, days. It's really great for the brand. Yeah. yeah, thats you have to kill a journalist to get any attention yeah, yeah, these yeah.
0: days. Oh, geez, yeah. Uh, um,
2: <laughs> no,
1: but, um, yeah, my mom does not listen to anything unless she's on it. Um, we, we've had both our parents on a couple times. Like, we called them on the phone. And people love those episodes a lot. I love those episodes maybe the most. Um, My dad listens pretty often. And I found myself being nervous about what I say sometimes and censoring myself on my podcast. And I'm far more open when I'm a guest on other people's podcasts because of that reason. But I'm trying to not do that because I want my listeners, our listeners, to know the intimate side is me of, as well and not be walking on eggshells just because my dad might listen. But my dad is really supportive. He really, just like with Anna's dad, loves that we're proud of our culture and talking about it openly and educating people about us. And I think he's so, he's proud that we're proud um, he is kind of funny though because the last time he was on the podcast he kind of like gave us notes
2: like he was like he <laughs> just, does he holds like a press conference yeah,
1: like he he won't really compliment me un- until he makes sure like I should do something better <laughs> <laughs> which is like just like a dad thing to do I think he's really but he's so supportive and he's really proud of me and yeah I think I, d- I was weirded out that he was listening all the time at first but it's really just a cute thing that he could do on his commute and I and I love that I love that I'm like Um, a part of his day, you know, and uh, I just have to maybe sit down with him and tell him like, sometimes I'll get intimate and maybe you should listen to those ones (laughs) (laughs) Um, because I think those conversations are maybe uh, just as important as other ones, whether it's about discovering your sexuality or um, being comfortable in your own skin or uh, our experiences with relationships or drugs or whatever. I think those taboo in quotes topics are so important for other people like us to listen to so they don't feel so shameful.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And um one thing that you both sort of mentioned at the top and then I've heard in several of your episodes is um kind of this insecurity around your body and um and you you were mentioning like the, the your hairiness and eyebrows. Was there a point when you realized that you had this different set of rules as compared to your friends when it comes to like clothing and um and just this the beauty standard, which is awful, but uh, <laughs> I think we can all agree it's awful. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, comparing yourself to your white friends. Um, Do you remember when that started to set in and what that was like?
2: Yeah, I I feel like for me, it started in like elementary school when I'd be like, oh, well, no one looked like me because there was no other Iranians around. And I never, like, my hair was so poofy and curly. I just, like, didn't know what to do with it. So I always just had a ponytail. Like, I never did anything with my hair because I just didn't know what to do. It's not like my mom was telling me what to do. So I always had this ponytail, and I just wish I could have straight hair so I could do other stuff with it you know it's never really an option it's just like if i leave my hair out it looks very poofy and at the time i remember it was like princess bride or not princess bride princess diaries uh-huh. and i was like i need a princess diaries like <laughs> yeah. makeover well all of a sudden her hair got all poofy to straight out of nowhere and i was like well that's the dream i related to that so yeah. far too <laughs> i we've
1: was like, never we've never talked about that but i really yeah. me and my
2: sisters were like damn we yeah. that's a I need to go from poof yeah. to princess. Yeah. <laughs> and that, like, you know, of course, never happened because my mom was like, I'm not buying you a hair straightener. And I was like, my life is the worst, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh and also, like, I never had cool clothes growing up. Mm-hmm. Like, I, my mom would buy me jeans and, like, kind of, like, larger shirts to wear to kind of, like, hide my body. So I never truly understood how to dress myself in any way. Like, I had no sense of fashion because, like, my mom, she has her look, but her look is a very classic. She wears, like, pantsuits all the time mm-hmm. because she's a working woman. So she's like, <laughs> I wear pantsuits. They're conservative. They're nice, but, you know, they're not over the top, and it doesn't pull any attention. Mm-hmm. And that's how my mom dressed me, basically very— very bland, (laughs) don't pull any attention. Like I was basically in like little pantsuits for the most of my life. (laughs) Like I wasn't really allowed to stray too far from that. And as I got older and started kind of like picking out my own clothes, like that's when I was like, oh, I can wear bright colors. Yeah, I can like fit in with the other girls who are wearing like flowers and like had earrings. Like I didn't have my ear pierced for most of my youth. Like I got my ear pierced in high school when I was like one day like, well, I'm going to go do this (laughs) and they can't really stop me because it's not like it's that like just regular ear piercings in your lobes like that's not scandalous like that's okay and so like I, I I had to you know fight for a lot and i was rejected for most of it to try and like fit in with the other girls like to be able to paint my nails even just pink mm-hmm. or go to like in sync concerts which i really wanted to do but my parents were like what is that we don't understand what yeah. in- what your interests are or why you would have an interest in a boy band it's like <laughs> cuz i'm dying to feel you know <laughs> cuz i'm dying to feel. yeah so it was it started pretty young when I started to realize how different I was and how I just really didn't have a chance of blending yeah. in with the other girls and yeah. that, it was hard. It took a lot to get over that.
1: yeah, I relate to that a lot I, I my mom also she my mom is very fashionable, but um it didn't really translate here like we she always dressed us up in very interesting outfits. Um, and I loved my clothes, but, like, people would always look at me weird. And, like, I, I also wore a lot of baggy T-shirts or um, me and my sister would kind of match all the time or we would have, like, little pom-poms in our hair. And me and my older sister, we had accents growing up, so I immediately knew I was different because I always got made fun of for my accent um, because my mom taught us English with, like, hooked-on phonics, and, like, she has an accent as well. So it was kind of like, I'm going to learn it the way my mom says it kind of thing. But... I had really bad eyesight growing up, and so my mom bought us those, like, chains that old people wear with their glasses, like, where it attaches to the backs. <laughs> and so it's like a necklace. And so we were always, like, the weird, nerdy kids that got, like, bullied constantly. I got bullied, like, just relentlessly throughout every school I went to. And um, uh, so I knew I was different. Um, my hair wasn't as curly as it became. When I was in elementary school, I remember a very distinct moment. I was playing with a friend in my house. She was my next door neighbor and she was white and we were like dragging, I was like for whatever reason like dragging her by her arms like we were like playing or whatever and she looked at my feet and she was like, your toes are hairy. (laughs) And I was mortified. I was like seven or eight years old. I think I was eight years old. And I was like, oh, I'm a monster. Like, (laughs) she, I was like, she doesn't have hairy toes. Like, what the hell? And so uh, I remember that so clearly, even though it was like 20 years ago. And um, so, yeah, that was a big part of my realizing like, oh, not everyone has hair on their toes. And oh, not everyone has really hairy arms or whatever. Mm -hmm. And. I remember I shaved my eyebrows in seventh grade. I shaved the the middle of them because I didn't want to get a unibrow. And I went to sleep. And the next morning, my mom looked at me when she woke me up, and she was like, what did you do? (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I always felt really bizarre. And I went to uh, middle school and high school in a neighborhood that had a lot of Filipinos and a lot of Asians. And so... Growing up with them who, for the most part, have very minimal body hair, that was insane because I'd be at PE and my friend would be like, I haven't shaved in five days. And i like, I shaved this morning and I already can feel my hair back. Like, yeah. I can already feel my hair coming back. And even that, even wearing shorts to PE was a huge deal because my parents wanted me to wear, wear pants. And for the most part, I did wear sweatpants. But when I was at school, I could wear shorts. And I remember... um My older sister wasn't allowed to shave, and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to shave. So I was, like, in seventh or sixth grade, and I remember going to my mom's shower and, like, grabbing a razor and starting to shave. And she was, like—she found me, and she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, everyone else does it. I don't like my hair. Like, I want to—like, I want to be, like, normal. And after I started shaving, my older sister started shaving. um, And, uh, I mean, it's, like— it kind of made, gave me a complex about my body hair. And, like, I ended up getting laser hair removal on, like, a large part of my body when I was older. And um, now there's, like, a whole feminist movement about <laughs> accepting your body hair. And I'm like, well, too late <laughs> <Yeah>. for that. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I mean, I personally am, I, I believe that, like, you're just as feminist if you choose to remove it if you or if you choose to keep it. It's all about your choice. But I do think being Arab-American gave gives girls a complex about their hair, especially if you're raised with pretty hairless people. And especially your eyebrows. I think my dad has very bushy eyebrows and me and my sister Zelka has eyebrows. For whatever reason, mine actually no, I think I got my mom's eyebrows because they're kind of finer and I don't and I think honestly I think after shaving them my eyebrows were like, as as punishment, we're not gonna grow back. Um but uh but yeah I think you know you're weird pretty early. Yeah, and I mean, I,
2: yeah, I lived with a unibrow for most yeah. of my youth until one day I also took a razor and shaved yep. it off. And now I'm obsessive compulsive about my eyebrows. Yeah, you I have are, great eyebrows. I, yeah, because ke- you know what? My whole life I've been you know, called like one eyebrow girl, like worm yeah. girl for having like an eyebrow. Oh. <laughs> one eyebrow going all the way across. And I was like, never again. Yeah. And now I keep my eyebrows meticulous.
1: No, Anna's eyebrows are so ideal. I... Got my eyebrows microbladed and I fill them in every morning and it's the bane of my existence. Just like I got I'm hairy everywhere else, but my frickin' eyebrows. <laughs> and it's just like really like I can have hair
2: on my elbow, but not on my eyebrows. <laughs> like just Well, if I don't take care of them, they but, get crazy. They look great though. Yeah. Yeah. The thickness. It's real. Yeah.
1: But that's that, that is an upside. Our hair is pretty thick usually. Um uh we can handle the sun. I don't know what else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you. I think you know you're weird by all re- like really early. I think when I was a toddler, I we were in ballet, and my we were allowed to be in ballet until like my dad deemed it inappropriate. But I remember really enjoying it and feeling normal back then. And I have a I have a pretty good memory for someone that was like young at that time. But I do have very distinct memories when I was like two or three in ballet class and um not feeling different and i was also like a toddler sure but i think when you get older and then your parents are like oh you can't be in ballet anymore because you don't i don't want you to wear tights i don't want you to wear this and i remember i wanted to learn i was obsessed with the cello i'm still obsessed with the cello and i wanted to learn it more than anything and when you're in 4th grade i think you pick like what instrument you want to play in band and i wanted to join the orchestra and i wanted to like play the violin, and then go to cello. And my mom at the time was listening to this, like, kind of fanatical religious woman, and she has admitted that she was, like, in the wrong. But my mom had been told that string instruments were the instruments of the devil. And so I wasn't allowed to learn string instruments, and I, like, resorted to learning clarinet because I was like, well... (laughs) (laughs) And then I ended up playing bass clarinet when I was in middle school because I was like, this is the closest I'll get to the cello. (laughs) Um... But yeah, it was, it's just like having these... And like not being allowed to sleep over anywhere, not being allowed to to go on like sleepover trips for school or anything like that. It, it, you already feel like the outsider and that everyone knows you're the outsider because you're not allowed to do everything. Or you, we have... Oh, the biggest thing, I'm sure Anna can relate to this, is having weird lunches. Like we would come to yeah. school and my mom like for the most part had like... We, we liked like peanut butter and jelly or whatever. But my mom would be really cute and like... Like, sometimes she would put, like, I don't know, like, make them into weird shapes or, like, or like write my name in Arabic on the back. And so, little things like that. Or, like, we would—something my mom would always do is she would use pita bread for for our sandwiches. And so, that was already, like, a burrito. They are like, why do you have a burrito? And,
2: like, what kind of bread is that? Just, like, I don't know. Little things like that pile yeah, up. Yeah, smelly food does not yeah. sit well with the other young kids in the cafeteria. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: That's funny because, uh, I mean, it's not, but it's funny because I read (laughs) uh, a lot of people when I was researching this said that um, the thing about the lunches making them feel like they were sticking out or kids Mm -hmm. were picking on them based on what they were eating for lunch.
2: Yeah. I mean, I love the food. Yeah, I know. It's delicious now where I'm like, why was I so ashamed? I should have been like, you're jealous. (laughs) My food is amazing. Yeah, I
1: wasn't, I don't remember being like ashamed. I just remember like knowing like, oh, I am definitely not like you. <laughs> like, my friends would be like, oh, I remember my mom would use this like Nutella, um, like a, like an Arabic version of Nutella called like Rotella or something. And um, she would use it on pita bread and I remember, or like, and I would like, let my classmates have a taste. They're like, oh, that's really yummy. Or she would boil almonds, which is something that a lot of Arabs do. You boil almonds so you can take the skin off. And I remember I got my friends like addicted to the almonds. They were like, can you bring more almonds tomorrow? And so little <laughs> things like that were like kind of cute. And yeah, my parents raised us really, in my opinion, really well. And uh, I didn't feel, I mean, the issues I had with myself, I think, were just a combination of things, but I don't like, I don't want to blame them for anything because they are just the best and they did their best. They just like just decided to leave some stuff out.
0: (laughs) Sure. I mean. And that's why we're on stuff mom never told you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. I'm just kind of curious if when your parents started saying, I don't want you to wear X, Y, Z. Was there ever an an explanation? And if so, what was that? Or was it just, I don't want you to wear this?
2: Uh, I don't think I have there ever really. Mine was just like, my dad was like, because I said so, and mm-hmm. there was no explanation. And my mom would be like, it's because, you know, like young girls aren't supposed to dress this way. They need to be conservative. And that was just like about, that was it. Like, it's yeah. just like, you just need to be a classy woman and not some like, I don't know. Yeah just I mean, they would assume if you start, okay, so this is the thing. If you start dressing, like showing too much skin, basically you will meet a man who will get you addicted to drugs mm-hmm. and then you will die in a crack house. Like yeah. that is that is literally it. Like you, you wear one mini skirt and all of a sudden that is a gateway drug yeah. to heroin. That is a powerful
0: <laughs> mini skirt. Yeah.
2: But that is literally how they think. Like immigrant parents are so scared. Like they're like, oh no, I can't. Who yeah. knows what's going to happen, you know? Like you can just get caught up in anything yeah. and you're like, no, I just will, you know. Just, yeah. Feel good. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um yeah, I I think I don't know, I must have been in element. maybe like going into middle school. I remember it more I mean we were always not allowed to wear certain things. So I think or like I was in like my 5th grade talent show dancing to like a Backstreet Boys song and I remember our outfit were shorts and my mom and dad refused to let me wear them and like in my defiant self I went on stage with shorts on without them knowing. And I, my legs were hairy. It was like whatever. And I was like, I don't f-ing care. <laughs> and I danced and everyone looked at me and I was like, fuck you. And then um, here I am. But yeah, I think I got used to wearing a lot of three-quarter length shirts. I got used to wearing a lot of like baggy, like khaki pants or like, like those like that khaki material or whatever. And my dad owned a retail store eventually. And so we would get a lot of my clothes from him, a lot of Dickies workwear, <laughs> a lot of... A lot of like vans and Converse shoes, and so I felt pretty cool that I had access to that. But it was also like a limited, a limited option range. And uh, I went to college, and I realized like, oh, I love wearing shorts. <laughs> I like the sun being on my legs. And I, um, in high school, I would like change clothes in my car, but it was still so taboo. And I was trying to get used to seeing my body that way. Because I got in trouble a lot when my parents would see photos of me in high school wearing shorts. They're like, where do you even get these? Because I would go to thrift shopping all the time. I would, um, like, when I learned to drive, I would, like, drive around just anywhere. And, um, yeah, I think I really despise being told what not to do. And I think uh, it really influenced me and my character. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is did I, I
1: answer your question? Uh,
0: yeah, I think yes. It did. Yes, it okay. did. Um, this seems like a good place to pause for a second for one more quick break. Forward from our sponsor, <laughs> and we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So let's let's get back into it. Did you ever feel this pressure? to represent to be a good representation of being muslim um like did you feel that 100% definitely
1: yeah um uh, being a good muslim being a good arab american being a good representation of the middle east especially after 911 yeah my dad was like i mean my it was just i think 911 was a huge changing like a turning point for a lot of immigrants that were ostracized and um we had to be the model versions of ourselves, or else I don't know. Like we didn't want to prove them right, and that's why every time we went to the airport, we would get questioned constantly with these like quote random uh, screenings. And my parents were always so calm, and I was so livid every time. And my, because my parents did not want to cause any trouble, like they were, they accepted the 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 this state they were in or whatever. And our bags would come back to us completely like ripped and and just like mutilated because they were thought that we were hiding something I don't have, I have no idea and so I would be so mad all the time my parents just had to brush it off because they liked they love being here and they're proud to be american more than i've ever seen anyone else be proud
2: <laughs> yeah yeah, I feel like our parents are prouder than anyone because yeah. they came here, worked so hard to go to school and learn English and yeah. like make a career and like make money and get like health insurance, which is so important to them. Yep. And then like have kids who like go to college and they can afford to pay for college and it's like that's so much work to yeah. come from a country where you don't even like speak the language yeah. and build your whole life up. Like they're they they wouldn't do anything to jeopardize yeah. that because yeah. they have it all.
1: Yeah. Like they're they're so strong and like this this goes for like immigrant parents in general they're so strong they're so fearless in their like cuz like it's terrifying to speak a language that doesn't come naturally to you like it's not your first language maybe it's not even your second language and you're and they're still putting themselves in this situation and that's why i i think my my parents are just truly the
2: most remarkable people in my life like yeah. i don't know how they did it it's crazy like my dad has come so far he is literally out here commenting on all my instagram posts yeah. yeah. his comments are the best they're all like broken english but he's still out here yeah. saying that he likes our style my, my parents <laughs> love using emojis like yeah. it's crazy like they've come a long yeah. way <laughs> it's it's crazy and and
1: i i appreciate them for raising me the way they did i think i wouldn't have had it any other way like even though i had struggle, i had a lot of struggles and I, i'm sure anna did too I think it made us stronger, you know? I think it made us more independent and more reliant on ourselves. And um, I'm very open with my mom now. We have a very amazing relationship and I wouldn't take that back for anything. And uh, yeah, I think what I needed to be a little bit older for her to be more open with me, which is okay. Like I think she likes having, a f- like she, she she's a really amazing mother and she loves having kids, but I think she also likes having a buddy to talk yeah. to, you know? yeah.
0: Were there any rules that uh, around—I'm going to assume the answer is yes—dating?
2: Uh, <laughs> there was no well, such yeah, thing there as was, dating. Exactly. There was no <laughs> such thing as dating.
0: There's nothing like
2: that. we not allowed to date. I was told at 18 I could have a boyfriend maybe. I was—I
1: still can have a boyfriend. <laughs> Unless I'm, unless he's proposing to me the next day, I can't date.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's not common for your, it, it, you would have to have a very, very liberal Middle Eastern yeah. parent for them to be like, sure, have a boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> What's his name? Josh Gray. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Ryan. Yeah, no. like I have a boyfriend now and my parents love him and it's fine, but like, you know I never brought like if I was like talking to guys I would never oh, bring no. them home I, I, would would, never, I wouldn't even bring up anything no, about them
1: I would never I would, tra- I would
2: make them girls when I was talking to my parents
1: <laughs> and also with me I, I'm i queer and I'm attracted, to, I'm attracted to both men and women and I um, that was something I completely just kept to myself even now I, I, I feel like you get used to living a double life you have yourself the way you are and you have yourself in front of your family and I Dating was not an option, uh, and in my my reaction to that was to despise uh, marriage, despise monogamy, and despise like uh, this institutionalized need to get married. So, so I, I still feel that way. I don't want to have a family. I don't want to have a husband, and that's not their fault. I just. Have rebelled in that way as well, and that's something my parents I think have to accept eventually. But um, yeah, no dating was allowed. Not even like like we we had like uh like six p.m. like we had to be home every night for dinner. Like we weren't allowed yeah, to soon go it out. Got dark
2: out. You better yeah. your butt better be at home.
1: Exactly. Like there was no like late curfew. Like no. like it was just and there was no grounding either. We were just like not we were already grounded all our lives. Like, <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, like I had a lot of guy friends growing up, but I think my parents, I think they just assumed I, we were at arm's length and I, tr- I truly was until college. Like I was very like anti-touch until college and I started to like explore more because I was like, touching is so bad. <laughs> and then, um, but yeah, dating was not allowed even now. Um. Uh, it's just not, I think my, my parents would love if we all married great Muslim men. Mm -hmm. And like my older sister got engaged recently. He converted for her just on paper. I think it's very just like for my dad's peace of mind. And, um, and now he's so happy. He's the happiest I've ever seen him. Like not only is she a doctor, she's engaged to one. So I cannot (laughs) top that. So I'm not going
0: to (laughs) try. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably wise. Uh, um, <laughs> so, something that uh, probably will come as a surprise to it probably won't come as a surprise to you, and it probably won't come to a surprise to anyone. But representation of Middle Eastern women um, or Middle Easterners in general in the media is pretty terrible. Um, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was is that something that, um, as a child, did you? notice that or internalize that or I mean I know now looking back that it's it you must be able to say like oh my god I only saw this and this but um as a child not seeing yourself or only seeing negative portrayals almost exclusively was that was that the case for both of you
2: Yeah, I mean, only person I knew of growing up was Christiane Amanpour. Mm -hmm. She was the only woman. She was a journalist. I looked up to her. I always made my dad put the news on when she was on. And that was all I had. I was like, she's a journalist. Wow. Like, mm-hmm. maybe one day I'll do that. It's just something. Look at her. She's on TV. She's yeah. doing it. And that was it. Like, I had no sense of anyone else. Like, to me, I was like, and I, you know, we can only be doctors, lawyers, engineers, because mm-hmm. that's what your parents tell you literally from the womb yeah. is like point at the doctor who delivered you and be like, that's your future <laughs> yeah. and that's that. <laughs> and you're like, okay. But like, I, seeing her have this kind of you know while well, i mean Christiane Amanpour is just, she's not nobody she actually is a very respected journalist but like to to get to that point where i could be like i could be a writer or mm-hmm. you know i mean podcasting at the time i had no sense of it but like it didn't exist but to ha- to be someone who could report on things in the news and and that was really crazy to me And I was like, well, that's kind of what I want to do. I know I want to get into some sort of, like, news at the time. I didn't know what. I knew I wanted to write. I I had this idea, like, I would be a journalist or something like that. And I never said that out loud to my parents because it would kill them and they Mm -hmm. would be mean about it. (laughs) But that's what I had. And there was no—I think that was it. Like, I had no sense of anyone else. Yeah. That was the only profession I thought I could go to that wasn't one of the ones my parents wanted. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I— I never saw myself at all. And that really made me feel like nothing was possible. Like, I very early on, I knew I loved making people laugh. And I think deep down, I wanted to be a comedian. And I never told a soul, I never told anyone that I wanted to be a comedian. Um, and then I studied uh, a lot of photography and I took a lot of like photo and art history classes in high school. And I realized like maybe I can make a living out of this. And so then I wanted to study art. But uh, my parents, I mean, they weren't very supportive at the time. They're very supportive now, but at the time, we had our troubles. (laughs) And, um, uh, yeah, I just never saw anyone that looked like me doing anything that I wanted to do. I never saw any comedians that looked like me. I never saw any artists that looked like me, any filmmakers, any directors, any writers. Like, I'm a filmmaker now, and I write and direct my own stuff. But if I had seen someone doing that when I was younger, I would have done it a lot earlier. I would have known it was possible a lot earlier and known that like that was an option for me. I think that's why I'm sometimes envious of those that are raised in the entertainment industry because they're raised already knowing it's a possible career choice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, I always wrote a lot of poetry. I was a big writer, a big reader growing up. And so I knew I loved the, the arts and I loved writing and I loved creating things. But I never saw anyone doing it, and that didn't stop me from doing it on my own, but it did stop me from thinking it was something I could live off of. And that's kind of unfortunate, because for, like, most of high school, even though I was in art and everything, I had convinced myself that I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I had convinced myself I wanted to be, like, a neurologist or something, because I loved my, like, the idea of the brain. I was very, like, depressed, and so... The idea of mental illness was something that was very fascinating to me. And I convinced myself that, that, like, I can do my own stuff on the side, but for money, I have to do this. Um, <laughs> then I failed AP Chemistry. And so I was like, maybe not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that's a huge reason why we started the podcast is to be more visible to the younger versions of ourselves. Like All my work really revolves around the younger version of me, like making sure she would be looking at me being like, yeah, I can do this whether it's poetry or filmmaking or photography or podcasting or anything, I think allowing ourselves this platform has really been empowering for the both of us. And um, because our voices are important, even if they weren't that accessible back then. And I remember Sarah Silverman being the only person I thought kind of looked like me because she had like dark hair and talked about depression a lot. And I appreciated her for that. She like talked about not wanting kids and um, talked about like just, I don't know, like, things I related to, but she was a white Jewish woman. <laughs> <laughs> like, I had to draw from very small images of myself that weren't even me. But, yeah, I think um, that was a, that's a huge reason why I want to stay in the industry and keep working in the industry is because I need to represent myself because no one else will.
0: Yeah, we've talked about on this show before so many times the importance of seeing yourself represented and what you're describing sounds kind of cyclical, right? Because if you never see yourself, then maybe you think that isn't an option available for you. And Mm so then it continues. Like, we're only hearing from the same types of people on the same types of stories. Um, So I, I am glad that's changing. Have you, do you feel like, are there things that you've seen that are positive, of signs of change, other than the both of you out there making content, <laughs> of course.
2: Uh, yeah, I think social media helps a lot. Yeah. I think it helps open the door for people. Like, like on Twitter, um, like, different magazines are out here, like Muslim Girl Mag. Like, there's all these different groups that you can, like, turn to, and you can see what their feeds say, and they're putting out positive, you know, um, information about, like, who you are and what like how to deal with things and I, I you know like you can go on, I mean I hate to say Facebook because Facebook is the worst but like groups on you know those kind of social medias or even like Instagram you mm-hmm. can like follow hashtags of you know like women who like like I do with eyebrows and there's all these like beautiful like mm-hmm. women of color with their eyebrows and I'm like wow what a world you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with eyebrows but uh, you know and and that I think really helps broaden our horizon especially now that we all have phones and, and you know of course there's a dark side to all of it but I think having the access to explore, especially even, like, getting podcasts and, like, hearing our show, it's just, it's important for the representation because now it's just so much more widespread and you can access it anywhere.
1: Yeah. Especially because the majority of podcasts and podcast listeners are white men. Like, they're hosted by white men or their listeners are white men. So we're already, like, trying to break that that barrier i think as much as i appreciate and i really do appreciate all those magazines that are catered towards those niches whether it's queer identity whether it's religion or being um, a marginalized person i think unless you seek out those things you won't know they're there and I, i think it's going to take a long time for them to be mainstream to be to to have a person of color on the cover of a magazine without it being a big deal or you know what I mean it it shouldn't I want those magazines that are specific to those people and to to different people to be mainstream too you know what I mean like that's the that's what bothers me it's just like like me and Anna were on a podcast panel in Philadelphia this past summer and it was a huge podcasting event And um, there are multiple panelists, multiple panels going on. Me and Anna were were on two panels that were, like, uh, about being, like, bringing diversity into the podcast landscape and, like, not being white. But then we found out there was a woman in podcasting panel with all white women. Mm -hmm. And so— as much as that is helpful for us to be there and talk about those issues, we can also talk about other things. We don't yeah. have to, t- you know what I mean? Like
2: right. you know, our expertise are not just being diverse. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so, um, I think it's it's just baby steps and change takes so long and as much as good as much good as there has been in the recent history, I think we have a long way to go. But yeah, um, just like for example, I'm really mad about the Aladdin movie coming up because I thought like the the role of Jasmine was like the the for sure thing like that's an Arab role like an Arab woman can finally be on screen doing what she's like like the the, the person the only person that she could like grab hold of as growing up like who she was and then they gave it to a half Indian half white person. And that's totally fine. Like I'm sure maybe the mo- like the average American or westerner can't tell the difference between what they look like between like me and this half white half Indian. Maybe we look similar to them, but to me it was important. Like to me that representation was given away when it should have been ours. And so I think I think people don't realize the importance of that. And um, especially big studio heads that are just, like, in it for the money. Like, whether it's this Lena Dunham movie that's coming out that's directed by Lena Dunham, a very privileged white woman, she's directing and adapting a, Syri- a Syrian refugee story? Like, really? <laughs> like, that's the person you selected? Like, it's just, as long as white, maybe, like, slightly ignorant people are in power they're going to keep hiring themselves and not think that like maybe the story can be better told from an actual person like a Syrian director or a Syrian filmmaker's point of view so I think there's a long way to go I feel like I've gotten in trouble on our show for like making it seem like I hate white people and that's not the point I just I think I'm just very honest about the the power structure of a society and if 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 people are uncomfortable with me like I call, I call, I say whitey all the time, just like as a way like to be playful. But um, I've gotten in trouble for it. But it's not about hating the white man. It's about criticizing them and knowing they have to to make an effort to change. Like Spielberg and Abrams, the people that hire Lena Dunham for that project, they're just as at fault as she is for accepting that project. Like they were the ones that chose her. They were the ones that deemed her appropriate for the role. So. There's there's just a huge toxic uh, society. Maybe I'm just more attuned to the filmmaking side of it and more sensitive to that because I'm a filmmaker. But um, but yeah, I think we have a long way to go. Sorry for this long tangent. I'm just very heated about this topic, and <laughs> oh, uh, I'm gonna
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna stop. No, it's great. You're just calling it like you see it. Um, so for the the younger version of of you that maybe is listening to this and is self-conscious about her her eyebrows or whatever it might be do you have any advice that you would that you wish you had gotten or that you would give uh probably
2: that it gets better that you're not going to get stuck in this like phase you're in that you will be constantly evolving as a person your parents will be evolving your life is going to change like Things are going to happen. You're going to learn to love your eyebrows. Bushy eyebrows are going to be trendy again. You know, like these yeah. things, the world is constantly changing. Yeah. And there's room, there's space for everybody. And you will find your space, even if you start to realize your weirdness is actually more unique than you thought. Mm-hmm. Standing out's actually pretty cool. Like you, yeah. you're going to learn and see that it wasn't all like, you're not going to be stuck in that moment forever where you're like dreading your life and your experiences because your parents are too strict or because you look a different way or because you just are weird in general, like just Mm -hmm. different, everything changes and everything, you know, you'll learn to love yourself eventually. And if not, there's always therapy. I feel like mental illness is not discussed at all in like Middle Eastern communities. And I think it's so important to be like, if you need to talk to someone, don't think because your parents don't understand why that you shouldn't go and explore that option. Yeah.
1: 100% 100% what Anna said. It. I think... I mean, if I had known that bushy eyebrows would come back, <laughs> that would just... If I had a fucking time machine. Um, but, yeah, just knowing that the things that make you feel weird and the things that make you feel so different and strange are the things that will make you so unique and beautiful and strong. And um, mental illness, the same thing. Like, I struggled a lot when I was younger and it was not something to talk about. It was not something to address. And so encouraging myself to be more, to to take care of my mental health and to know that I'm not broken, I'm not damaged. I wrote a lot of poetry about going through mental illnesses and like depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. And um, I used that as a catharsis and a therapy for myself, but it, it wasn't enough. And so taking your health into your own hands, even if your parents are a little bit stubborn about it or a little bit Maybe they've never experienced it before. Maybe they don't know that you're going through something. And especially immigrant communities, they're not very open about mental health. And so I think knowing that, like, it will, you will be okay. Like, just if you stick around long enough, you'll, you'll realize, like, weird is a good thing. I love being weird now. I love being a weirdo. I love being a nerd. I love being a weirdo. I love those things that made me feel awful when I was younger. It made me feel like an alien. And now I love being that. And so um I think the hardest thing for me is because I was very suicidal growing up and so it breaks my heart to think of like another person out there that feels the same way I did. And so just knowing that it it get I mean like I hate that it's kind of, it sounds cliche, but it does get easier if you just let yourself grow and learn and slowly learn to love yourself and I'm still learning to love myself it's definitely a process just find things that make you happy even if it's like for only little moments whether it's poetry whether it's photography whether it's um, writing or anything I think knowing that you're important just the way you are and uh, altering yourself is not going to make you any happier it's just going to make you more confused about your identity Uh, and I don't know if I'm answering this question I just keep talking
0: (laughs) no you are that's that's wonderful advice, and I think for someone when you're younger and you hear that over and over again, you, it's hard, it can be hard to accept. But that's, it what, is. that's
1: what I didn't want to, I mean, like, because if I was hearing this when I was younger, if I was like, it'll get easier, I'd be like, f*** you. Right. <laughs> like, no, it doesn't. You have no idea what's in my head. You have no idea what's, what I'm going through. But um, you do feel very alone, and mm-hmm. I think— being, being okay with yourself when you're alone needs to happen in the process of loving yourself. And so just knowing that, like, it'll take time to do that.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I think that that is a wonderful place to end it unless you, either of you have anything that you would like to add.
2: I mean...
1: That's it. I mean, thank yeah. you so much for having us. Uh, I know. Thank you so much for having us. It means a lot
0: to
2: us. Yeah.
0: Oh, thank does. you so much for coming on. Um, this was such a lovely conversation, and I had a wonderful time. Come back. <laughs> You're always welcome. <laughs> of
1: course. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we'll definitely come back.
0: Um, where can the good listeners find you?
2: Uh, well, Ethnically Ambiguous is our podcast. It's on the How Stuff Works iHeartRadio network. Um, we, you know, we're on iTunes, you can find us Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find us on the iHeartRadio app, you know, we're out here, um, you can follow us on Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram, we're constantly posting about, um, news and mm-hmm. things that come up on our show, Instagram and Twitter. Um, we, Our Twitter is very active. We respond mm-hmm. to everyone. We talk <laughs> yeah. to everyone. Um, yeah. And you can follow me at Anna Hosnieh, A-N-N-A-H-O-S-S-N-I-E-H on yeah. Twitter. And-, and then Ethnically
1: Ambiguous's Twitter is Ethnically Amb, A-M-B, and then Instagram is Ethnically Ambig, A-M-B-I-G. And you can follow me On Instagram at Hero S-H-E-E-R-O-H-E-R-O. And then on Twitter, it's Hero 666 And so keep up with us. And um, we love interacting with our listeners. And I think it's one of the main things that like, I don't know, we tried to emphasize is that we're people just like you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to read the the comments, um, dad's comments.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're great. And his dad has the best comments.
0: Yeah. Um, and you can always email uh, this show, this podcast, at momstuff at And you can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at you. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Trevor Young. And thanks to you for listening.